0: I'll try to keep it short. Not. (laughs) Father, we just want to invite you here. We acknowledge your presence. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So here's what I've learned. Parenting at times can be a challenge I mean, at least that's my own personal experience. I might be the only one in here, um, but, but that's OK. And one of the biggest challenges, I believe, of parenting is when you have to discipline your child, when they've made that mistake, and now you as the parent have to correct. Now now don't get me wrong. There are times where you're like, uh uh-uh, not on my watch, and, and, you, and you lay it down, and you've disciplined, and you, and you get back to your spouse, and there's fist bumps and high fives, and that's, that's right, we're the parents, right? Uh, yeah, there's, there's those victories at times. But there are other times where disciplining your child, it, it can hurt a little bit. I don't mean like your hand hurts because it's swollen from hitting them so many times, but I mean like in your, in your heart, like, hurts. Like, sometimes you have second thoughts. I mean, you know you can't let them get away with it because you're trying to nurture them and love them into uh, good people, for lack of a better word. You know what they've done is wrong but you still don't like it, and you wonder wonder if you could have done it better. You wonder if you could have handled it just a little bit different. I mean, they're just kids, and they're trying to figure it out, and they're always kind of testing boundaries and kind of pushing to see how far they can go. And and, and sometimes I, I think, did the punishment fit the crime? Like, should I have grounded them from breathing? Or, like, sometimes I wonder, was locking them in the dog's crate just a little too far. I mean, I would never do that. I heard somebody on TV did that. Um, DCF frowns upon that, so don't do that. But there's that, there's that tension that we feel as parents to discipline and to come alongside, and we want to love them, and, 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 and so it could be difficult for us. But then, then there are those other times where the consequence that you've kind of laid out before them, it just feels right. It just kind of fits what the, the crime is, and theres there's a moment where, like this guy, you could take your son or your daughter and you could talk to them and, and help them understand that that life is all about I mean all of our actions have consequences, all of them, everything how we live has has consequences and, and you can encourage them to do better and encourage them listen, don't go there all within maintaining this place of discipline. You can explain to them that you love them with. Uh, a no-matter-what kind of love. Like, like, this hasn't changed my love for you. I still love you. I still want the best for you. And there's almost a, a, uh, almost a sweetness to it. Like, like, it's a teaching moment for your children. Well, this idea of discipline doesn't only take place in the home between parents and children. It takes place in a lot of different places in our lives, including among the people of God, among the community of the believers. And last week, we looked at some very uh, difficult verses that the author, that the writer is conveying to the church. Very difficult verses. And he was speaking about people who have walked away from the faith for, for whatever reason, that heard the truth, understood it, but walked away and they've rejected Jesus, rejected the cross, They've rejected grace and mercy, and by doing so, they've rejected salvation. And he ends ends that whole passage with with this one line that's, it's one of those verses. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But now the next section we're going to take a look at, he's taking his readers because remember, his, he's, he's a pastor. He's at a pastor's heart. And he's kind of figuratively taking them into his arms because he wants to encourage them. He wants to build them up. Isn't that what discipline is about? To build up our children. Sometimes, sometimes yes, it's, it's revenge. I, I get that. But, but most of the time, it's about building them up. And he wants them to understand that no matter what, Keep on in your faith. No matter matter what life throws at you, no matter what things happen, don't give up. He's gonna encourage them in two different ways. First, he's going to bring them, and he wants them to remember about the past. He wants them to remember about a time in their life where God really showed up and got them through some stuff. And then he's going to encourage them to pay attention to that, bring that forward, and how to respond with what's happening Today, in, in their time, in their day. So let's, let's get right into this thing. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start with verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and la- had better and lasting possessions so he's just come out of this really hard text these these few verses where he's like man people who People who reject Jesus, they have nothing left. There is no more sacrifice for sin if you reject the one and only sacrifice. And now he's kind of speaking gently to them. He wants to build them up. And he's referring in chapter, or verse 32 about an event that happened probably about 15 years earlier. The Roman emperor, emperor Claudius was kicking Jews out of Rome. Now, one of the ancient historians wrote that there were riots in the Jewish quarter at the instigation of Christus. As a result, Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. Now, most scholarship believe that this Christus guy is a reference to Jesus, a reference to Christ. And so something was happening that was causing riots, aggravating the Roman emperor, and he was expelling the Jews from Rome, You can read about it very briefly in Acts chapter 18. And what was happening was the Jewish Christians who were following Jesus were getting kicked out of the synagogue by the Jewish leaders. You're not not paying attention to Jewish law. You're not paying attention to all of the things that we have traditionally took part in. So you can no longer be here. The Messiah hasn't come. This is what the establishment was saying. But the Jewish Christians were saying, no, no, Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. And so they began to have riots, and the emperor would have none of it, and he started kicking people out. And so the author of Hebrews wants them to remember, remember that time that things were really difficult. And, and in this original language, if you kind of get geeky on it and study that kind of stuff... Uh, it, it, has this, it paints this picture of like a, a contest, a sporting event. People just like, like two teams going at it. See, the church wasn't just rolling over and playing dead. The church was standing up for the faith that they have in Jesus. They would not just be pushed aside but they took, they took a stand. And that's what faith does. Faith strengthens us in the face of adversity, in the face of, per, in the face of persecution. When, when it seems just incredibly stupid to stand up to what's happening, faith goes, I will give you the strength. And that faith is in Christ and Christ alone. He gives us the strength. When things look grim, it's faith that strengthens us. And so this author is going, remember, remember, remember when. All throughout the scripture, God is, is calling his people to remember. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember. I mean, if you read the story of the Exodus, that was just cool. God did some stuff for his people. Remember, God's going, remember the past, because there's strength in remembering what God has done. We celebrated communion, we remember who Jesus is, we remember the work Jesus accomplished. He said, "Do this in remembrance of me." And so there's something about remembering. There's great strength that comes from remembering the work and the deeds that God has done. Now, I'm not saying that we need to live in the past, but we could remember the past and be strengthened. So the author, the pastor that writing it's writing this letter to the Hebrews, He wants them to recall what they've gone through and how they remain strong. He's encouraged them to remember their own character of faith during a time of, of great suffering. Remember how you lived. Remember how you lived out loud this faith in Jesus. See, everyday life became Difficult for them back then. They were pressured and squeezed, not just by uh, the Roman Empire, not just by the Jewish leaders, but by everybody. All, every day, whether it be in the marketplace, in the workplace, socially, in their community of faith, they were being pressured and squeezed about this, this Jesus character. And they were being kicked out of their community. They were being disrespected. They were being insulted. They were being belittled. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. This wasn't kind of a a behind-the-scenes persecution. This was right out in public for all people to see, being uh, disrespected, being belittled, all for following Jesus, all for putting their faith in him as Messiah. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. See, they wouldn't stand quietly while other brothers and sisters were being persecuted. They stood side by side with them and, and stood for the consequence of their faith. The picture that, 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 that a few words pictures uh, paints is people standing side by side with their arms locked, standing with each other. We are willing to suffer with the brothers and the sisters, even if, our, even if we ourselves aren't being directly persecuted at this time. It wasn't just lip service that we stand with you. They physically did, and they would open themselves up to the same hardships that the others were suffering from. The church was not passive about this. They, they didn't keep quiet. They stood tall and strong for their faith. Verse 34, you suffered along with those in prison. You suffered along with those in prison. They had a a very real sympathy for people who were jailed because of their faith. They lived as though they were in prison with them. See, this is a community that rejoiced together. And this is also a community that suffered together. And they just didn't pray for the people in prison. No, they prayed with them because they would go and they would visit them. See, in this day and age, if you were locked up in prison, you didn't get food and and water and drink from the prison itself. If you didn't have friends and family who brought you that stuff, you would starve to death. You would have no water. And so it took friends and family to come and feed you and give you water, and give you clothing, and care for you. This is, the, this is the picture that's being painted here. The church coming alongside, not just sitting on the other side of the wall or on the other side of the glass and, and, and asking how are they doing, but, but ministering to them, keeping up with their physical needs. And most of the time, they were endangering themselves by being there. They were endangering themselves because these people weren't in prison for for stealing or killing. They were in prison for their faith. And so the jailers would kind of put two and two together and say, well, if they're coming here and they're meeting these physical needs of these people in jail, then they too must be of the same faith. They were putting themselves in danger of being arrested and thrown into jail, but they did not care. They came alongside them because of their faith. They took very seriously the words of Jesus when Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Matthew 25. And they came to visit them in prison knowing all the while that they could suffer the same fate. And it says, And joyfully they accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew that they had, a better and last, they had better and lasting possessions. You know, in, in our culture, we, um, we tend to hold on to things kind of tightly, our, our, our stuff. We work hard to get stuff, and we work even harder to hold on to our stuff, and we spend a lot of effort keeping our stuff. But this church lived very differently. They were willing to give it up. They were willing to give it all over and say, you know what? I don't care about it. And this is not them giving it away to the poor who needed it. This is not them ministering to the people in the church. This is them being taken advantage of. This is their, their uh, homes, their land, their livestock, their crops being confiscated because of their faith in Jesus. And they joyfully, they joyfully accepted it. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their stuff. They were being robbed. And they were joyful about it because of faith. Or maybe they took the words of Jesus very literally when he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. They they got it. They understood it. They put the priorities where the priorities needed to be. The author wants them to remember how they lived out their faith during a time of persecution and suffering. They live with this this reckless abandon. And and they they just, whatever happens for the name of Jesus to us, we're gonna be joyful about it. Brothers and sisters in jail, man, we're gonna care for them. We're gonna stand side by side with those who are being persecuted. He wants them to remember the significance of that experience in their life and how they engaged their faith and it was their faith in God and faith in Christ that, that brought them through that very difficult time. See, to remember things in the past like that, it, could, it can challenge us where we are now. Like, like sometimes I think, you know, I, I don't live into those rhythms I used to live into years ago or last week or whenever it was. And why not? I have to ask myself, why not? If, if God's power manifests itself here, then why do I even doubt that it would not manifest itself in this instance? Maybe not the way I want it to. Maybe not the way I've told God this is the way things need to work out. But why would I even think that God would not be with me? If he was with me then, why would he not be with me now? And see, those, that remembering can... can uh, empower us to face life today. You know, most Jesus followers I know, they start off well. Like they come to Christ and it's just like, bam. They're carrying their Bible and they got now the Bible app and, and, they, and, they, and they're just like, praise Jesus, bananas are on sale at Stop and Shop and they're just like so full of, of just like, whoa. They're just all out. And then years kind of go by and that, that, Passion seems to wane. See, it's good to start well. But we want to end well. And we want everything in between. See, God just didn't come to save us from hell into heaven. He came that we would have abundant life today, today. And to end well, I believe we have to remember well what he has done for us. And that can bring confidence into the present to remember the past. And so he's calling them he goes, "Okay, remember that time, man, when things were really bad? Look what look how you lived your faith." And now he's going to bring them into the future. 15 years later when persecution is is starting up again. And he writes this. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what, has, what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And But my righteous ones will live by faith, and, take no, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved." Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You know it's very easy to remain confident when when things in your life haven't been tested. It's very easy to remain confident in a certain situation or a certain place in your life where where it hasn't been really tested where um, you, maybe you've made the wrong judgment, maybe you've you've made mistakes, maybe things haven't gone the way that you planned and it's easy then to lose your confidence. I remember my transition from the last church I was at to this one, uh, when I left, when it became evident that uh, they were hiring a new pastor and, and I would be kind of let go. I just, I just, I don't think I can do this anymore. Being a pastor is hard. I know we only work one day a week, but it's still hard. <laughs> and, and that whole thing, that experience, I, I just kinda went, I'm kinda done. But then there's this adage, this old adage that gets thrown around a lot, and 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 it goes like this. You gotta get back up on the horse. I mean, if you've fallen off, get right back up on the horse because that's the best way not to lose your confidence. That's the best way to keep you from falling into some self-deprecating thoughts about yourself. You're not good enough, you can't do this. Get right back up on the horse. Grab it by the reins and try again. And so this is what the author is getting at to the church. Don't throw away your confidence in God. Don't throw away this faith in Jesus just because things are getting difficult again. Remember how you used to live. Remember that experience that you had and that you just, you didn't care what happened. You were living for Jesus. And see, and the best part of this confidence is it's not in my own ability. It's not in my know-how. It's not in my own strength. This is a confidence in God and God Himself, period. Confidence in God and in His power, in His command of this entire world and all that happens in it. That's where we place our confidence. And when we get knocked down, when we get kicked to the ground, we can get right back up on the horse again because it is He who gives us the strength out of His glorious riches to come and to overcome. Christ won. I know you can watch the news and it doesn't feel that way, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what, Christ won. And because of that, we are victorious. The church has always been victorious. Yeah, we mess up. Yeah, we, we, we do stupid things. Mm-hmm. But the church will always be victorious because of the work of the cross. And he wants, he says, don't throw away your confidence. Uh, last week, we looked at that one verse, uh, 10, chapter 10, verse 23. It said, hold unswervingly to the hope you confess. Why? Why? Because he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised It's faithful. There is our confidence. There is our encouragement. There is our hope. Let's not throw that away. The church was encouraged not to do it then. I want to encourage us not to throw away the confidence that we have in our living God. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, and but my righteous, my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Okay, I need to be very clear about something when he says, and I take no pleasure in the one that shrinks back. He's talking about those who have rejected Christ and not those who have wrestled in areas of faith, because we all have. But we do not belong to those who shrink back because we have faith because those who have faith are saved. Perseverance in our faith doesn't earn our salvation. Perseverance is, is evidence of our salvation. You know, back in my younger days when I was in high school, I, I was quite the distance runner, I must say. I was good. And uh, I used to run, you know, distance events, cross-country, and yeah, that's right, I was, I was the captain of the cross-country team. Oh, let me just say that also the track team, but I'm not bragging or anything like that, you know. And um and so I used to do, you know, a lot of training, do a lot of races, and I remember one certain track meet. Um I was uh you know, I was going to win, I guess they said, you know, because you kind of follow those things. I'm not bragging or anything, I'm just throwing it out there. And uh so the, the, the gun goes off, and it's a, it's a 5K race, I think it was. I, I remember it was like 11 or 12 laps around a 440 track. I know you people probably don't understand it because you might not be an athlete. But anyway, so, um, so it's, 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 uh, it's a long race. And the gun goes off, and this one dude, he's like, and he's gone. Now, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm supposed to win this race. And... Uh, I can hear my coach yelling, don't go, don't go, which he's saying, don't follow him. And this kid is just running as fast as he can. And before we knew it, he had a half a lead on the entire pack that was kind of coming up behind him. But he started to slow down a little bit. And we just kind of kept right on going. And before we knew it, we had caught up to him. And before we knew that, we had passed him. See, he kind of petered out See, it was a race of endurance. It wasn't a sprint. Later on, we found out that he was trying to pull me out fast so the other guys can uh, beat me, but oh, nay, nay. <laughs> See, our faith journey is a journey of endurance and perseverance and not just an just a all-out, mindless sprint. We want to begin well, we want to run a race that's smart in the middle, and we want to end well. And faith is our exercise. Faith is our bread. Faith is our spiritual food because it's faith in Jesus Christ, and he said that I will give you everything you need not to survive this world, but to thrive in it. And so the key to enduring, the key to perseverance is engaging faith. You know, these words up here where he says, uh, in just a little while, the one who's coming, and and, uh, I take, uh, but my righteous will live by faith. Those are written to the prophet Habakkuk and he was kind of a, a complainer. Uh, he was always like, Wow, God? You know, nothing's good happening to your people and why everybody's suffering? When are you going to do something?" And and so like God's like, "Okay, dude, listen, man, like suck it up. Let me just explain to you what's happening here." And basically what he gets to in that entire book is my righteous ones live by faith. He doesn't say my righteous ones they have it easy. They have no problems. They just kind of skate through life there's, there's no, there's no, you know, in the dirt, in the valley, there's no, 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 no. My righteous ones, in the midst of all of this going on, my righteous ones, they live by faith. They live by faith. And he lets that sink in a little bit. And then if you read the entire chapter three, he, he's just like, yes, I get it now, and, and And this is my favorite part. He says this, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. This dude's having a bad day. Things aren't well with him. But then look what he says in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Faith, the righteous will live By faith. We will persevere by faith. We will endure by faith. And the righteous ones doesn't mean that you got it all together, you behave correctly, you follow all of the rules, you can just quote scripture, chapter and verse, you go to all the Bible studies, you're here early on Sunday and you're the last one to leave. That's not righteous. Righteous is your faith in Jesus Christ. We are his righteousness because of the cross. The righteous will live by faith. The key to running this race is faith in Christ. The key to not being overcome and overburdened and, and just falling flat on our face and not being able to get up is faith. And see what the writer has done here, not here, over here, he has set up now for himself one of the most Um, beautiful, detailed expositions of faith. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. And we're gonna spend some time in that chapter. um, And we're just gonna engage this idea that the righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Father, thank you for the faith that you give us the faith that we have. Thank you for the love that you've given us. You know, maybe there's, there's people here this morning that are really wrestling with faith. Like, they just, they, they're lacking it in their heart. They're going through some stuff. You're going through some stuff. You know people who are going through some stuff. Hey, we know people who are going through some stuff. And it tests our faith. If you need prayer, Because you're in that place of just doubting, uncertainty, defeat. There's gonna be people up here that are willing to pray for you. There's people over here that are willing to pray for you. If you don't wanna get up in front, you can sit and find somebody to pray with you. Let a brother and a sister come alongside you and speak into your life. Speak words of faith, speak words of grace and mercy. Don't just run away because it's getting late. Do the work of God. Do the work of faith. Come before Him. He will not, He will not cast away those with a humble heart that seek Him, that earnestly seek Him. I love you guys. Remember to pray for Steve and the Russos and Sarah and her mom and dad. We'll see you next week. Remember the missions team meeting and. Yeah, that's it. I will see you next week.